good thing Wes told me because I was just getting into the spirit there. This has been a long day. That family calling you at five this evening. Are you coming to Father's Day barbecue or what? I don't know what's going on, but Jesse is playing the greatest piano rift I've ever heard. It is, it is so good to be here with you. You know, when we were coming into the service today, I, when I first got here to, to be able to spend time with the, the worship team as they were setting up, I saw uh, what I was very excited to see, some munchies on the way into service, some gummies. And I was excited because I assumed those must be Father's Day snacks. And then I saw the crayons, and I thought, we either have a really low view of fathers, or those are for children. Uh, but uh, one of the joys of fatherhood is being able to steal your kids' candies with a clear conscience. So thank you, Uriah, uh, and the nursery. They were delicious. Uh, but it is good to be together. Sarah and I are so glad to be with you. We've uh, purchased our home, and, and we've been moving in the last week and a half, and it has been a joy to be here together with our church family and to plant roots together. You know, in God's good sovereignty, I would have the opportunity to finish this series in the book of Titus called Entrusted, that God has entrusted us with the gospel. He has entrusted us to be the people of grace in a lost and broken world. And so how exciting is it to, to finish these last few verses in a sermon entitled Entrusted to do good works, that God has entrusted us to do good works for his glorious kingdom and to be unashamed to do so. You know, as you've called me, this is very exciting because ultimately you've called me to help to lead us as a body to do good works, to partner with the elders, to partner with the staff, to help equip the body to do the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in before the foundations of the world. Every one of us here has a different circle of influence, different friends and neighbors and families and responsibilities. And yet, in one aspect, we, we individually go and do the good works that God calls us to do as his people. And on the other side, he calls us to partner together as a multi-generational body of Christ to do good works for his kingdom. That will do two things for us this morning we'll recognize. First is the reality that God has given his church good works to do. And secondly, that these good works, they function as testimonies of transformation for a lost and hurting world. That they can look at our lives individually and collectively and say, you're not the same person I recall. You're different. You're changing. You're not perfect, but you're changing. What is this about? And as we look at this text, my prayer for us, my desire for us this morning is that the Spirit of God would give us fresh eyes, that he would give us fresh eyes in our lives, that we would look around as though for the very first time and say, God, look at the opportunities that you've given me. Would you empower me to walk in them joyfully this week? And so as you open your Bibles to Titus chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 12 together and walk through verse 15, and we're going to notice these, these two texts, but I'd like to read this for us first, and we'll, we'll come back and, and, and chew it up together as we look at our first reality of this text. And Paul concluding, he says this, I'm reading from the ESV, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one from the pew in front of you. Beginning in verse 12. Paul writes to Titus and says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. 
And do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. And see that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and, and not to be unfruitful. And all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. The first reality we notice in verses 12 and 13 is this, that God has entrusted his church to do good works. God has entrusted his church to do good works. And in verse 12, we notice that these are good works that require us to be intentional. They require us to be intentional. Look back at verse 12. He says, when I send Artemis or, or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Now, the letter of Titus, as we found, is largely impersonal. There's not a lot of particular details about Titus besides what we saw early on with Keith, that, that we saw he, he's left here for some period of time to make disciples and to strengthen leadership in Crete. That's really, for the most part, the personal details we get about Titus's responsibilities and personal reflection. Now, in the fall, we're going to walk through as a church family 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy is littered with these personal reflections between the relationship of, of Paul and, and Timothy. But in this letter in verse 12, we get another one of these personal nuggets. We see that it's time finally for Titus to leave the Cretan believers. And we don't know how long exactly Titus spent in Crete, but we know that the goodbyes are hard. On a day like today that we call Father's Day, many of us have a variety of emotions that come to mind when you think of fathers. For some of you, it's joy. For some of you, it's nostalgia. As you recall your father that may not be here any longer. For some of you, maybe it's bitterness or hurt. But the reality is those relationships that we have in life that are sweet and deep and meaningful, when it's time to say goodbye, it hurts. Right? My parents have spent two weeks with us helping us get nested in here to our home. And we're saying goodbye after the service. I don't even know why I'd say that early on. I don't want to start crying or something here. It's, it's this Texas weather. It's allergies. That's what I've been telling everybody. But it hurts to say goodbye, doesn't it, to those you love? And that's what Titus is having to do to the church in Crete. He's having to say goodbye. Because he's having to say goodbye something that's difficult, he's doing so because God in his good love for the body of Christ, through the ministry of Paul, knows that it's important to have an intentional place of gospel influence in this city called Nicopolis that could have taken about six months of travel. And Paul says to Titus, Titus, I want you, I need you with me in Nicopolis. But don't worry because I'm sending you these other two guys. One of the two will come and take your place. And most believe it was Tychicus that, that took his place. But Paul is intentional to plan ministry to make sure that the church in Crete and the church, the budding church in Nicopolis, are not neglected because they are truly intentional places of ministry. What happens in our life, oftentimes, church, is that the longer we spend in one place, the longer we spend in one relationship, 
you and I can be impacted by what we call the smudge effect. The smudge effect. It's like this. You ever brush your teeth? Hopefully you said yes. Right. You brush your teeth in the evening and, and a little bit of that toothpaste gets on the mirror. And if you're a, a guy like me, you don't take the time to clean it off properly. Right, Sarah? I'm sorry. And so you use your finger and you just kind of, that's good. And it leaves this smudge, but you think, I did, I did my job. And you notice it, but you're tired. Night two comes around and you're brushing your teeth and you see the smudge, but you're thinking it's not that, it's not that big of a deal, but I should get it, but I'm tired. A week goes by and you don't even notice the smudge anymore, do you? And then a friend or a family member has you over to their home and you're in their bathroom, you're washing your hands before dinner, and what do you notice on the mirror right away? Look at that smudge. Wow. You and I have this tendency to, to, to overlook the good works that God has called us to do because of the smudge effect of our lives. Paul has this incredible ability to maintain fresh eyes in the ministry of expanding the kingdom of God and making disciples. He has this ability, an incredible ability, to see resources and to match them up with needs. One of the benefits that Sarah and I have of being new is that we see the incredible strategic resource in place that is Nacogdoches. That God has uniquely placed our church. One of the elements in reading Grace's history is that the church strategically made a decision many decades ago to relocate right in this location, to come close to Stephen F. Austin because of the unique place of ministry that it could provide. And in faith, they relocated and they planted roots here. And you build this beautiful sanctuary to be able to meet in. So of course you know about the university, but do you realize how multi-generationally blessed this community is? To be able to reach every different area. It's important to reach our young people because the more good works for the kingdom of God they'll be able to do if God should give them seven, eight more decades of life. You can't measure that kind of influence. But also we value our older saints because in reality, if they don't know Christ, they may be days or weeks or months away from experiencing the judgment. And there is this beautiful multi-generational element of ministry opportunity that God has blessed our church family that is incredibly exciting. One of the most strategic things that you and I can pray in our life is that God, on a daily basis, God, this little prayer, would you give me fresh ministry eyes this week? Would you give me fresh ministry eyes this week of the relationships and responsibilities you've given me? God, please give me fresh eyes this week for my church and for the relationships you've entrusted to me. May we be like Paul and develop intentional, fresh eyes for ministry. Not only do we have good works that require intentionality, but we have good works that require, in verse 13, our time, our talent, and our treasure, our time, our talent, and our treasure. Verse 13 says this. Paul says to Titus, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Now most believe that Zenos and Apollos were delivering this letter to Titus. So he's to take the letter carrier, which would be a, a potentially a dangerous responsibility in the first century, 
and he receives them, and Paul says to him, hey, speed them on their way. The New American says, be diligent in how you take care of their needs. Send them on faithfully. Now, in general stewardship terms, we might think of this as our time, talent, or treasures, the three T's. You and I are constantly called as followers of Christ to be more faithful with our time, our talents, and our treasures. And notice, I think we see little glimpses of this in, throughout this letter. We see our time. Again, he says, speed him on. Speed Zenus the lawyer on. Or diligently help them continue on. There is an urgency in this letter. Not just to watch your character. If you were here when Zach brought us the word, he, he unpacked for us the high character that's demanded of the leadership and also that the church should aim for as a whole. But there is this sense of urgency in this letter to live your limited time for the glory of God. Our time is fleeting. Now, we know this, but we tend to live in an isolated world in which we don't think about it. I know I am this way. Time, we all have the same limited amount of time. And it's fitting that we have our children with us today. I think it's good to take a little bit of time to consider a little bit of time that we have with them until they turn 18. When a child is born, and we have a lot of grace ladies pregnant. We noticed that when we came here. So I don't know if it's in the water. I knew the water was good, but I didn't know it was that good, right? It's, it's just, it's intense. We're going to have a lot of confused kids after the service. That was probably a bad direction to go. So no longer your kids will drink water. Right. But when that child is born, you have 936 weeks 936 Sundays the Lord gives you until they become 18 years old and go on. By the time they get to grace kids' age and begin school, there are 635 Sundays left. By the time they, they reach the age to be a part of the, uh, the refuge, the student ministry that Bobby does a great job leading, you're talking 336 left. In high school, 180 left. And I know some of you parents right now are thinking, yes. Getting close. The reality is, once they leave your home, your, your impact and influence on them goes down. And God has entrusted each of us with a measure of time to disciple, to invest, to care for one another, to study the word together, to develop a faith that isn't simply going to have us trust and rest and abide in Christ on healthy Sundays, but on Sundays when death is near, on Sunday when you're in grief and confusion and your world gets turned upside down. Time is of the essence. May we take this stewardship measure seriously. So we have time and also talent. Look, he, he mentions this individual, Zenus the lawyer. Now, I don't believe, scholars don't believe that he has any relation to Xena, the warrior princess. This is, this is a terrible 90s reference. I even had in my notes, I was like, don't do this, and I did it anyway. <laughs> my apologies to you. The benefit of manuscripting is I can usually catch those, but sometimes it's too much. Okay, so, so, so Zenus, the lawyer, he was either an expert in Jewish law or Roman law, and most think Roman law because of his name. And you can imagine how this skill set, this talent of, of being an expert in Roman law, why Paul would want him in Nicopolis as they did missionary work. 
Can you imagine as they're traveling around how beneficial the skill set of being an expert in the Roman law would be? It would be a huge blessing. And Paul says, hey, please speed him on. Bring on Zenos the lawyer. He is going to be so beneficial to us. And God has entrusted to each of us a unique measure of talents for the kingdom of God. And they're always changing, aren't they? They're always changing. And one of the biggest dangers that you and I can face is two sides of the same coin. We can make the mistake on one side to say, God, oh, I thank you so much that you used me so mightily when I was younger. We can become nostalgic over past ministry and therein neglect present-day good works that God has for us to do. But on the other side, oftentimes those that are youthful will look and say, one day when I get older, one day when I have that opportunity, then I'll really do something great for the kingdom of God. But both are, are simply mistakes of the same coin. Both let present ministry opportunities fade away. Because we need each other. We need our own giftings. We found this out at Mission Act this week. I can carry heavy things, but I have no idea how to put a roof on. And Zach said, Amen. Courtney said amen. But we needed their expertise. Those that had an expertise on how to do these things, we needed them. But they also needed others with strong backs. The church is very much like that. We need each other. One of the mistakes that, that, that happens in, in churches oftentimes is, is we become too imbalanced for one age group. And so some churches end up with lots of energy and creativity, but very little financial resources or other longer-term wisdom bases. This is a reality. Just look across our country in Christendom. And others become so maybe imbalanced on the other side that they're rooted so much in this is how we've always done things that they don't tweak anything to try to reach anybody. And we need each other. Why? Because we are the family of God. We need each other because we are God's children together. In our unity, in our laying down of our talents, one for another, pouring out our lives to build up the body of Christ for the kingdom of God is unlike this world knows. Our talents are fleeting. Young people, if you don't believe that, the next time we stand up as a body, maybe in our closing prayer time, listen to the aches and pops of those around you. Our health is fleeting. Our time is fleeting and our talents are fleeting and so too are our treasures. He says here, as he welcomes them, he, Paul tells Titus, make sure that they lack nothing. Make sure that they lack nothing. I won't have you look over there, but you can write down 3 John 6. Write down 3 John 6 as a reference. John tells Gaius to do the same thing. They receive those letter carriers, and then he says, send the brothers on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Send them on in a way worthy of God, i.e., Gaius, John says, like Paul, ministry costs money. You take care of them. Send them on so that their needs are met, their physical needs and their financial needs, so they're able to go on and do ministry. I know everyone always told me, Brent, your first Sunday to church, make sure and talk about money. People love that. Right, it's the favorite thing ever. But that's the reality, isn't it? 
Every one of us, constantly, myself included, we have little things in our lives that we like to keep tight grips on. And the call of discipleship, our call as followers of Christ, is to realize that, that he doesn't, God doesn't want our money. He wants all that we are. And yes, that includes our financial resources. We are his. This is what it means to grow in discipleship. Those little areas of our life where you and I, and we're all unique, and we all have them at different seasons. There are different things in our hands. We have our hands grasped so tightly. And discipleship is helping one another in different areas of our life say, no, Lord, it is yours because I am yours. These gifts I have are your gifts. These talents I have are your talents. The time you've given me, it is your time. I am yours. So time, talents, and treasures. God has entrusted his church to do good works. And secondly, as we go on in our letter, the good works God has entrusted his church to do are themselves testimonies of transformation. The good works that God has entrusted us to do are themselves testimonies of transformation to a lost and broken world. Now, this is actually the fifth time. If you have your Bible, I'll give them to you, these references, and you can, you can underline it or circle it or just not do anything to it. That's fine. It's your choice. But I want to give you these five references. This is the fifth time in this little letter that Paul mentions good works. The first one we have is chapter 1, verse 16. We'll come back and look at that in a moment. The second one is chapter 2, verse 14. Then we have chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 8. That Ben walked us through last week. And now here in chapter 3, verse 14. And each of these references give us an idea as we look at the last part that you and I are a people that have these little instead-ofs in our lives. You and I were, were called out of a certain lifestyle and called now to embrace this new biblical lifestyle that is to impact our lives. The gospel changes us. The lordship of Christ, it changes us. So we're going to look at two of these particular areas that the letter mentions. And the first is this, that these people in Crete were once people that were committed to falsehoods. And now because of the gospel, the good news of Christ, our hope of glory, they're now committed to fruitfulness. They were committed to falsehoods, and now this, the Christians are committed to fruitfulness. Let's read it together as a reminder. Look back to chapter 1, verse 12 through 16. And it reads... One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true. And therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled. In verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any what? Good work. So in this letter, we have these little bookends that these people were once committed to falsehoods, and now they're committed to fruitfulness. 
So break down each of those lists. They were once committed to lying. They were liars, once committed to falsehoods and lying. And now they're committed to truth, the truth of God's word, to live repentant lifestyles for the glory of God. The same person they once knew, the gospel comes into this community in which they celebrated deceit and lying. And that same person is no longer doing that, but now they're celebrating the goodness of the gospel, the truth of God. What is your instead of in your life? The people in this church, their past testimonies is that they were lazy beasts, complete liars, selfish gluttons. And now they've been turned into people that love the truth of God's word, whose hearts are burdened for their family and their community to know Christ and to make him known. What is your instead of? What is your instead of? Recall it and praise the Lord that we have instead ofs. We were once devoted to falsehoods and, and now we're devoted to fruitfulness. And, and secondly, we were once hated and hating one another in the flesh, but now we're greeted and greeting one another in the faith. Once hated and hating one another in the flesh, we're now greeting and greeting one another in the faith. Look up to chapter 3, verse 3. Here is a testimony. This is their testimony. This is their story. In verse 3, he says, For we ourselves, we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And now look at verse 15. They went from hating others and hating, hating one another and being hated by others to now in verse 15, look at the language. All who are with me, we send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. They went from a people of division and hatred to a people of greeting in the faith. Do you realize how unusual church is from the rest of the world? Think about it. Take a moment. I'll, this is maybe unusual for you. Look around a little bit. I know your church is supposed to just look ahead. Look around for a moment. Now, if you go to a sporting event, maybe you see people of all different ages sitting around together. But you probably don't see too many of them, right? 7, 8, 8 in the morning, 9, 10. Many of us that are gathered here have had weeks that are very rough. You've had months that are rough. And yet you join together with people around you and you sing these songs of praise. Some of you have had rough years. And yet here you are and you're joining together with a, a person that you're, you may not be, and are likely not biologically related to. And yet you're saying, I am your brother, you are my sister. I love you, I care for you. And when you celebrate, I celebrate. And when you weep and you hurt, I weep and I hurt. Why? Because Jesus Christ did this thing on the cross. That Jesus Christ is God in flesh. He came in fulfillment of all the scriptures. That he lived the sinless life I cannot live 
don't even desire to live. And he would lay his life down on the cross as a make-right sacrifice for you and for I. He knows us intimately. He knows the secret things of our life. And he would lay his life down on the cross as a make-right sacrifice for sinners like you and I. And we come together, people of every generation, in every background, and we say, he's my story. I have a whole wealth of instead of, but he is my story. He is my God. He is my king. He defeated death and he rose again. And he's better than all of life. He is my life. What happens on Sunday mornings, it is not normal to prioritize your schedules in life to say, I want to come because this is important. I want to come give an offering of praise to the king because it's important. I will come and greet one another. These people I'm not related to, but I am now because of Christ, my King. This is our story, church. Called to do good works together as testimonies of transformation for the glory of God until he calls us home. Unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. Instead of a conclusion, I've labeled that time our next steps. Because every time we hear the word of God, we must ask ourselves, God, what is my next step? What do you have for me? What is my next step? My next step is a question for you, and that's this. What does it mean to be the people of grace? What does it mean to be the people of grace? He finishes this letter with a common saying, five-word prayer. Grace be with you all. Think about it from what we've discovered over the last six weeks in this letter together. He's talking to a church that is in an unbelievably difficult place to live. A church that has false teachers budding up in all kinds of different places that needs to be strengthened and encouraged. And what does he pray for them, these last five words? Grace be with you all. Why? Because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient. I don't know where you're at in your life, but you do, and the Spirit of God does. So as you consider where you are at with the grace of the Lord, would you ask him, Lord, what is my next step? What is my next step? Let the Lord work in your life this week, because he is good and he is worthy. He is good and he is worthy, and he has entrusted you and I with the goodness and the message of the gospel. Our king is better than all that the world has to offer. If you don't know him, come and know him. Would you sing with me from our hearts? When we gather together and we sing, when we sing together as a church, we sing together as a choir to God. Isn't that awesome? Would you go with me to God in prayer? Let's talk to the king. Father God, you are worthy of our lives. God, that you would choose to entrust to us the goodness of, of the pure message of the gospel. Lord, your word is a light into our path. We pray, God, that your spirit would use your word that you would search out the areas of our life that we hold close-handedly. 
the areas of our life of our life we're fearful of you touching. God, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for those that are hurting this week. We pray, God, that your spirit would encourage them. And God, we pray that you would give us fresh eyes in our ministries, that we would see our homes as ministries, that we would see our responsibilities as ministries. God, because our desire, we pray that it would become more and more our desire that we would be living offerings for your goodness as we walk in the good works that you prepared for us to walk in before the foundations of the world ever took place. Lord, we love you. We truly believe that Jesus is better than all that this world has to offer. We sing this song of praise to you because you are worthy. It's in Christ's name all God's people said together. Amen.